Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. We are working through the Minor Prophets together as a church. We take a book of the Bible and we work through it. And and here's where I'll start uh, this morning. There are um, people uh, we know, probably you know as well, who are masters at certain topics. Um, can take a topic and just pour all kinds of time and energy into studying that topic, um, absorbing all of that information about the things that they've studied, and they've just become masters at certain topics. You know people like that? Maybe that's you. I mean, we, we all have a little bit of that in us, don't we? Uh, here's an example. I have a friend named Edward. I was with Edward this last week. He's from Oakland, California. He's another pastor, friend of mine, and he um, is a fanatic about anything Air Jordan, all right? So Michael Jordan's um, shoes that started in 1985 all the way through, right? So he, um, he he's a master at these things. He, he collects them. He's got something like 26 pair of uh, Air Jordans that he's collected over time. He just studies it, has uh, really dug in. Um, and, and a couple of years ago, I was telling Ed, Edward um, uh, about uh, an experience I had in 1985 as a 10-year-old. Um, where my friend Jason got a pair of the very first Air Jordans that came out. They were blue and black. Um, they were beautiful. Um, and I convinced my friend Jason that my pro wings from Payless were just as cool. Cool enough that we traded shoes for a day until his mom found out and required him to get them back immediately. All right, so um, I told Edward this story. A couple years ago, and uh, this last week on uh, Wednesday, my birthday, uh, Edward was with me, and he uh, knocked on my hotel room door, and he said, hey, I have a gift for you, and he handed me uh, a box with the 1985 black and blue Air Jordans, and I said several years ago, if anyone gives me a pair of Air Jordans, I will preach in them, so here we are, right? Uh, And I don't really have anything else prepared. Uh, Edward, my friend, he's a master at these things. He just digs in and he, he sort of masters the topic. There are people like that, right? That had just master whatever they put their mind to. When I was in high school, I ran competitively um, in school. And then in college, I ran outside of school and just ran competitively, studied it, right? Studied all the people who I'd be running against. I knew what they eat for breakfast. I, I knew what their, their lap times were for certain races that they ran. I just kind of, kind of studied that and went all in. Um, I have a, a son who does a, a similar thing with soccer, where he knows players and where they've been traded and who's playing for who, and, and he's just mastered the topic of soccer. At least he's moving in that direction. I, I have a friend and coworker, we'll call him uh, Josh, who has studied birds, right? In fact, if, if you know him, uh, I think we would all together say that he's a bird nerd. He just loves birds. I've never seen anyone so in um, and, and so passionate about anything, let alone birds. I, I've seen the man become emotional over seeing a bird. And I, I don't say that to belittle him at all. It, it's really 
Um, it's, it's compelling to see someone who's so in to something like that. He, he's um, a, a master at birds. Probably the, the one who's mastered it more than anyone I will ever, 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 ever know, right? Um, when Kirsten and I were uh, living in Chicago, there was a well-known theologian um, who went to the church that we were a part of. Um, he had retired from teaching. He's now, uh, he was at that time, he was uh, in his 80s. Uh, but he would walk into the Sunday gathering every week with a, a Bible in a different language. This man had mastered languages. He knew something like 12 to 14 languages fluently. All languages that would help him study the Bible. So not only did he know Greek and Hebrew and some Aramaic, but he also knew languages that were um, a part of what we know of Scripture. So uh, some Egyptian languages and Persian and, and on and on. And not only that, but he also knew uh, German and French languages that our uh, scholars have written in about these different languages. And so this man was just a, a, a master languages. And so he'd walk in and not to be uh, showy at all, but he'd walk in with a different Bible every week. Just a humble man who sat there. He was a, he was a master of languages. There are probably people, you know, like this who have mastered a topic, just have studied and studied and studied. In fact, you also probably know people who seem to know something about everything, right? And you, you try to stay away from them, right? But that you know those kinds of people. They have knowledge uh, about nearly every topic. Humans are truly amazing in what they can take in and, and what they can remember, what they can comprehend. Truly unbelievable in so many ways. But, but hear this well. We will never fully comprehend the ways of God. Never. As humans, we will, we will not and cannot fully comprehend the ways of God, especially as we consider how we currently see everything through, through our own lens of sin and through the, the destruction around us from sin and how others ha- have viewed things. That we, we will just never fully comprehend the ways of God. And that's not just from me. The Bible supports that over and over and over. In Romans 11, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How, what's the word? Unsearchable. How unsearchable are his judgments? How inscrutable his ways? And it goes on. Speaking of, uh, of God, David says in Psalm 139, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It, it is high. I cannot attain it. Or 1 Corinthians 2, probably quoting from Isaiah 40, Paul says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The rhetorical question begging the answer, no one, right? No one can understand everything about God, especially not to instruct him. We cannot fully comprehend the ways of God. And if you're um, anything like me, I'm okay with that when it comes to so many things. I'm absolutely okay that I cannot fully comprehend everything about God when it it comes to so many things. In fact, I I was in Lake Tahoe this last week for some meetings, and we saw some unbelievable sunsets. This was just one we were standing there. It was just getting more and more beautiful. I took this picture. There's no no filter there. What do you say? Hashtag no filter, right? This this is the way it came out of my iPhone. I, I look at that, and I think... I don't need to know how God did that. I'm okay not fully comprehending how God did that. I'm okay with that. 
And it just goes on and on with all the things I'm okay with not comprehending. I, I, I will never comprehend why God made this. Right, an animal that has mammary glands and lays eggs, right? What, why? That's really strange. I'm okay with that, though, right? I'm okay with that happening. My, my inability to comprehend what God is doing in some of these things doesn't bother me at all. But when it begins to affect me personally, then I get frustrated, right? You all there? When, when I can't comprehend what God is up to and it begins to affect me personally, not like a platypus, right? But if it begins to affect me personally, it really frustrates me. God, I, I don't know what you're doing here or why you would choose to do this. In fact, I would just ask, why, God? Why are you doing this? Why would you allow this to happen to me? I was with a pastor friend of mine, not Edward, another pastor friend of mine this past week. Um, and, and we were rallying around him and, and celebrating because his wife um, had been recovering from brain surgery from a tumor that they found at the base of her skull uh, a couple months ago. And she had a, a emergency brain surgery. They removed the tumor. And something like 95% of these tumors come back as cancerous and not very um, good prognosis. And they removed this tumor and it came back that it was not cancerous at all. So she was there at this conference that I was at and we were all celebrating and and then uh, we took off, uh, about uh, 20 of us took off to Lake Tahoe for meetings. And while we were up at these meetings, my friend Mark um, got a call from uh, his 16-year-old daughter and said, Dad, you've got to come home. Um, Mom dropped us off at school and in the parking lot um, lost her vision, lost all use of her uh, limbs altogether and is, is um, not coherent. They're ra- racing her to the hospital in ambulance. You've got to come home. And so Mark Rode has ridden this wave of like the ups and downs of like, hey, my wife has a tumor. Now it's gone completely. That's amazing. And now what's going to happen with her? And so as of yesterday, they're still trying to figure out what, what's going on. In those times where we lack understanding of God's ways and we lack faith, we begin to question God. We begin to complain to God. Uh, about his ways and it's only when but by god's grace it's only when by god's grace we land in a deep sort of hands-off kind of faith in god where our eyes are fixed not not on ourselves but on on him that we're able to turn to god in trusting adoration of who he is who he says he is who he will always be it's only in in faith that we are able to do that now i wonder this morning how many of us are in a place of struggling to believe that God's ways for us flow from his hand of love. From, from a God who desires relationship with us. How many of, how many of us are, are maybe feeling distance from God, struggling to believe that he's for us? I think we get to the book of Habakkuk, which is what we're looking at this morning. And, and, and we see from this prophet something that I think will speak to us in that. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is uh, between Nahum and Zephaniah. All three books, you have no clue where they are. That's all right. Um, here, I'll, I'll give you a little help. Uh, the minor prophets, which is what we're looking at, are in the um, sort of back of the Old Testament. So you've got the big ones, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Um, Ezekiel, and then you get to the minor prophets. Here's a little trick for you. Um, if you're looking for these, if you get to Nahum right after that, you've got H, Z, 
H-Z, right? So you've got Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, right? So go ahead and make your way to Habakkuk. That's what we're looking at, three-chapter book. Um, and, and what we've seen over the last weeks is that the minor prophets have consistently shown us a couple things about God, that he's holy and, and that he is sovereign and that God is just and, 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 and on and on. Uh, and in all of that and through all of that, we also see at the same time that God is loving and those things aren't separate. That his love isn't over here when he is in a good mood and, and that these things are over here when he's in a bad. Those things are all together. That in his love and from his love flow a lot of these things. So that's what we've seen in the minor prophets. Those things are not separate. They're intimately related. He desires relationship with us and he pulls us back to him when he, when we stray. And he has a desire to restore us. And so our prayer as a church over these last uh, weeks has been that um, in, in a really strange series in the Minor Prophets has, has been that, that we would be um, in, in a place where, where we would be receptive to that, that, that God would be calling us back and restoring us to right relationship with him. That, that, that's been our prayer, that we'd be receptive to that and open and 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 so we get to the book of Habakkuk, and, and like many of the other minor prophets, we don't know much about him. In fact, what we do know about him is mentioned in the very first sentence. This is all we see. Chapter 1, verse 1, look at it. It says, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. All right, so that's what we know about him, that he's got a name that's hard to say and that he's a prophet, and, and these are the things he saw. The, these are the things that flowed from from what he saw and how he put it out there. He's a prophet. He, he has words uh, about his experience with God. And we're pretty sure that he speaks out in, in this Babylonian period. We've walked through this schedule um, where, where b- before God's people are exiled, probably still in the same time period where Josiah's reform hasn't yet hit. So, so the good and, and peaceful times of, of, of Josiah and his reform haven't yet hit. So oppression is still happening. They're still facing it internally from their own people. They're facing it externally, probably from the Assyrians. It's in that time, in the midst of that, that Habakkuk speaks up and he cries out to God. Listen, though, not against the people. Habakkuk cries out to God because he's tired of how things are going. He, he's not content with how God has responded, or from his perspective, not responded. And so he speaks out. In fact, if you look at, at verse 2 of, of chapter 1, he says this. This is his first complaint. He says, Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Oh, or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. So so Habakkuk speaks out uh, to God. And I think he does something we we probably all have done or, or maybe even some of you are doing right now. In, in these days, in the, in the last days that you've been walking through things, I think we see something that Habakkuk does. In his lack of understanding, he begins to question, which is what we all do, right? Lacking understanding of what God is doing, we begin to question. When we don't understand what God is up to, we begin to question, how long, God? 
Are you listening? Are you going to help? Are you just sitting back and watching all of this go down? Are, are you in control at all? Where are you? And that kind of questioning, I think, comes from a lack of understanding of what God is up to, who God is. And while we can know some things about who God is and, and what He promises to be and some of the ways that He will always respond based on His character, what we know to be true and how we experience it or feel it don't always line up, do they? Let me say that again. While we can know some things about God, how we, how we know that thing and experience it or feel it don't always line up, right? They don't always jive. His ways are unsearchable. His ways are too high for us to understand. His ways at times um, we can't understand at all. And, and who, who is to understand the mind of God, Isaiah would say. When we lack understanding of who God is, we have a tendency to lean toward questioning him. And I think this is what we see in Habakkuk's beginning words to God. In this way, Habakkuk is more like a psalmist than a prophet. Right? He's just poetically speaking out to God in poetic form to question his ways. Where are you, God? How, how long, God? How long are you going to uh, allow this oppression to go unanswered? Now, how many of you have, have been in seasons like that? We, we all have, right? How many of you have felt that kind of thing that day after day after day there is uh, um, the oppressive weight of sin, whether your own, or those around you, but you feel that weight of whatever it is you're facing for the day, day after day after day, you, you may even wonder, how long is this going to go on? And many of you know, um, Kirsten, my wife, she struggles uh, at times pretty, um, pretty intensely with anxiety. Uh, and she's allowed me to share this. She said this was, okay, she shares this pretty openly to be a help to others who may struggle with the same, which there are a lot of, a lot of us that do. And so um, she has struggled with anxiety for years, and she's had seasons where her, her anxiety has held on for days and days and days. Just every morning, waking up to feeling the same sort of weight on her, and she's felt at times as she's called out to God for help. She's felt at times as if God is not answering her, and, and those seasons in her life have led her to seasons of questioning God. What are you doing, God? Where are you? Have, are, are you even here? When we don't always or when we don't often know what God is doing and we don't hear from Him directly and we don't see His hand at work right in front of us, it turns our hearts often toward questioning Him. And we've got to make this distinction. Not asking questions for greater understanding. That's not what I mean. Like, hey God, what's, what's going on here? Not that. There's a different tone than what are you doing not asking for greater understanding, but, but accusing questions. Where are you, God? In Habakkuk, he cries out to God with these questions of, of who God is. God hears the cry of the prophet, and, and God responds. In fact, starting in verse 5 all the way through verse 11, you, you begin to see this. So look at verse 5. God answers, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. 
For I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings, not their own. And and then God just continues to talk about what the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, it's a different way to say the Babylonians, what they will do to his people all the way through verse 11. In some ways, Habakkuk calls out to God in these questions, and God responds to Habakkuk's request. I want you to see this. Right? Are you going to do anything, God? Habakkuk says. And God says in response to him, Yes, I am going to do something. I'm going to send a brutal pagan nation to take care of this. I'm sending the Babylonians to bring judgment to my own people. They've acted against me in idolatry. They've acted against me in oppressing their own people. They've acted against me to try to make things right with just religious acts. And some have given up altogether in spiritual apathy. So yes, I'm going to to take action. I hear you, Habakkuk, and I'm answering. The Babylonians are coming to bring justice. Now, do you really think that's what Habakkuk had in mind? Right? Not at all. Right? Do you think he was looking for a brutal pagan nation to come in and destroy God's people? That's what I'm looking for. No, that's not at all. But again, we cannot know everything about the mind of God and his ways. We cannot comprehend what God is up to. I can't, you can't, uh, neither could Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk again turns to God with words and he begins rightly acknowledging the character of God. Look at verse 12. So this is, a, uh, this is uh, Habakkuk again. Look at the very beginning. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And we think, oh, right, he's got it, right? He's turning back to God. But then look at what happens. He says, uh, we shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as judgment, right? 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 And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. So he comes back to God and says, No, no, no. You, you can't move in this direction. And I think this is often what happens to us as well. Lacking understanding, we question. God responds to that. And lacking faith, we begin to complain. Just begin to pour out our complaints to god lacking faith that his ways are perfect and not in our timing we begin to complain and so we see habakkuk complaining all the way through verse 13 why do you sit idly by and watch the wicked destroy us verse verse 14 why do you allow these people to flourish in their wickedness as if they have no leader verse 15 why do you allow the babylonians to drag us all together toward captivity and on and on habakkuk goes with his complaints against God lacking faith in God's plan, Habakkuk complains and doubts God's ability to be who he says he is. Are you really going to allow this to happen? We get to chapter 2, verse 1, and he says, I guess I'll have to stand here and watch. Right? I get it. I'm helpless. I'll just stand here and watch. Are you going to do anything with my complaint? Now, wouldn't it be the same even for us? I think we look back and say, ah, oh, crazy Habakkuk, he just didn't trust God. But, but wouldn't it be the same for us in, in our complaining about our life's circumstances? That flows from a lack of faith in who God is. Have you thought about that? That, that our complaining in, in life's circumstances, I think, flows from a, a lack of faith in who God is. Now, I don't mean complaining about like running out of gas, right? 
that was just irresponsibility on your part, right? That's on you, right? You complain about that, you complain to yourself. I don't mean that. I don't mean complaining about, right, your financial situation. You just didn't spend wisely. That, that's on you. What, what I'm getting at is when something occurs in your life that you have no control over, how do you respond? Right? Uh, maybe things of nature, a tree falling on your house in a storm. You have no control over that. Right? Or maybe when your body doesn't work the way you think it ought to be working, or a diagnosis of some illness that you could not control, or hardship that you're facing because of how other people have treated you. Those are outside things that you have no control of. Our complaints about life's circumstances are, I think, ultimately a lack of faith in who God is and what He is doing or capable of doing. Does that make sense? I think that's where we lean. It's a lack of faith. Now, let me stop there and bring up this. Um, we also need to be lamenting life's circumstances. So I don't mean to say, hey, put on a smile and, and buck up. That's not what I mean. There's a time to lament. There's a time to lament life's circumstances. And so I'm not saying we, we rejoice when we get bad news. That would that'd just be strange, right? Yay, a tree fell on my house. That's not what I'm getting at at all. But when life's circumstances hit and we know we have no control, our lack of faith in God will often drive us to cast our complaints against God. Not trusting his character, doubting altogether that he's good and that he's still over all things. So here's what happens when Habakkuk complains. What do you think happens? God responds again. There's this dialogue back and forth. It's a strange prophet. God responds again. In fact, Habakkuk says in chapter 2, verse 2, now, look at chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And the Lord answered me. Right? So we, it's pretty clear here that there's this dialogue going out. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. And so God says to Habakkuk, Write this down. You're going to need to tell your people about this. And so that's what he does. Right? Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right uh, upright within him. So that's how God starts. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not, uh, uh, it's not upright within him. He's arrogant. He's proud. He's, he's, pushing, uh, against, he's pushing against what I'm doing. He's complaining with doubt puffed up. But look at, look at the next part of verse 4. But the righteous shall live by faith. So there's this juxtaposition here. There's one who would proudly say, I doubt what you have for me, God. And, and he says, but the righteous shall live by faith. When, when everything is out of their control, there's one who would complain and question. And then uh, there's one who in righteousness will live by faith. Even in the darkest of times, the righteous, those whose eyes are fixed on God and, and are, are, are sort of hands off with their own plans, uh, they're showing God to be over all things, even in the hardest of, uh, of times, those uh, will, will not live by complaining and questioning, but they will live by faith, believing that God does have a plan and that His plan is perfect. And while we may know a lot of things, Right? We can study and study and study about a lot of things, everything from birds to shoes and, and on and on. But we will never fully comprehend the mind of God. So what's our response? We respond in trust. We respond in faith. We lean on faith and we trust God to be God. Now, 
I don't mean that to sound simplistic, right? Overly simple. No, just trust God. That's a difficult thing to move toward. But, but we're, we're called in to, to live by faith, to trust God, to be God. And so from that point on in Habakkuk, from this call from God to live by faith, we see God responding with declaration of woe against the Chaldeans, against the Babylonians. So you just trace through this in chapter 2, verse 6. Woe to you for the hoarding that was not your own. Chapter 2, verse 9. Woe to you for relying on your own wealth for protection. Verse 12, woe to you for your injustice. Verse 15, woe to you for your violence. Verse 19, woe to you for your idolatry. It just goes on. And and then the final verse of chapter 2 is a reminder to Babylon. I think it's a reminder to God's people. And I would say it's also a reminder for us today as well. Look at verse 20 of chapter 2. After all of these woe statements, this response from God to Habakkuk, look at verse 20. But... The Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God responds to Habakkuk and to Babylon and to his people and to us, I think. And he says, listen, I'm still God. I'm still on my throne. I'm still reigning over everything. Your role, along with everything else in all of creation, is to be silent in reverence before me, not questioning and complaining. And I I guess a a question for us then to consider as we think about applying words from this minor prophet is is this. And I know this is going to be simple. Is this. Do we truly believe that God is God? Or, let let me give you another option. Or do we want so badly to have our own way and to be the one in control and to be making all the decisions as if we were God and we knew what was best? Do we truly believe God to be God, or do we believe that we are God? Really is a a better way to put that. Don't don't allow that question to just go in and out and think, well, maybe someone needs to hear that today. I I want us to all hear that. And whatever it is you're facing, do you truly believe God is God, or do you want your hand on that as well? Just because we don't completely understand the ways of God doesn't mean that he's not worthy to be trusted. Does that make sense? Just because we can't comprehend everything about who God is doesn't mean that he's not worthy to be trusted until we can figure it out. No, he's worthy to be trusted. There's nothing else in all of creation that is like our God. We can study and study and study and begin to comprehend all kinds of things around us and master things and become experts in specific areas, but to know everything about God and his ways is not possible. But that does not mean that he's not worthy to be trusted. He's absolutely worthy to be trusted. We cannot comprehend God's ways. And when that happens, we've got to rely on what? Faith. And so in chapter 3, we see this turning from Habakkuk. There's been this back and forth dialogue between the prophet and God, and God gets the final word in their conversation. Listen, by the way, God always gets the final word. Right? Uh, we're left to respond then in faith, which, which is exactly what Habakkuk does in these first 16 verses of chapter 3. And I think this is what we see, this turning. In faith, Habakkuk prays, which is where we, we need to be. In, in faith, we pray. Look at chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In fact, uh, uh, it tells us a prayer of Habakkuk. How do we know it's a prayer? We're told, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Right, And then he goes on, uh, O Lord... I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. 
In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. It just goes on and on. I've heard your response, God. I understand the things you revealed about who you are and what you've said you're going to do through the Babylonians, and I stand in fear. And then verse after verse in poetic form, Habakkuk prays through a vision of what he sees is coming through the destruction that Babylon will bring. He says, yep, I I see it coming. I know it's coming. It's all these declarative words of faith. I see this about you, God. I know it's coming. I'm trusting in you. I, I know that it's coming. And so you can just roll through. Chapter 3 says, you're light, God, you are powerful, you bring destruction, you're over all nations, you're over all creation, you're a God of wrath, you're a God of salvation. And then look at how he ends his prayer in verse 16. He says, I hear, and my body trembles, and my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet... I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Do you see that last part? I will quietly wait for that day of trouble. Listen, that is faithful acceptance of God being God. Right? That's radical faith in God. I know that trouble is coming and I will quietly wait for it. No questioning, no complaining. I will wait. Listen, when we can't comprehend what God is doing... Our posture has got to be acceptance of who he is and waiting patiently for his will to be carried out. And again, I don't say that with ease. I don't say that as if, hey, I've got this figured out, so follow my example. I don't say that at all. But our posture, when we don't understand what God is doing, instead of questioning and doubting, it it is to to accept who he is and, and, and wait patiently for his will to be carried out. And that's only possible not by you working harder at it, But in faith, trusting God to be God in faith, we pray verbally accepting that God is God. And then I think in these last three verses, we see that in faith we praise. In faith we we pray and in faith we praise. Look at the final three verses of Habakkuk. I want you to see these. I'm going to read through them and I want you to see them as, as they go in poetic form. Habakkuk ends his writing this way. Look at verse 17. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Let me just add though in front of all of these. Though the produce of the olive fail, and though the fields yield no food, and though the flock be cut off from the fold, and though there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then he adds at the end some instruction for what? For that to be sung. Right? This is a rejoicing of who God is. This is to be played on stringed instruments. This is a rejoicing of who God is. Let me just, let me just boil this down in one sentence for us. If we, if we can't comprehend those three verses, here's what Habakkuk is saying. Though nothing goes the way I think it should, I'm still going to rejoice in the Lord. Though nothing goes the way I think it ought to be going, I will still take joy in the God of my salvation. There's, there's instructions for this to be sung. In faith, we praise. Hear that first part, please. In faith, we praise. Not in total comprehension of what God is doing, we praise. In faith, we praise. 
I remember when we first moved to Fort Collins uh, over 10 years ago now. Our, our son Solomon, our fourth uh, son, was diagnosed with, uh, with a serious uh, seizure disorder. Um, his medication was an astronomical price. Um, we found ourselves struggling in a, in a lot of ways. We just tried, tried to get this church going, people meeting in our living room, and then not meeting in our living room, and then where is everyone, and just just a real mess of, of things. Um, in, in those first days, Kirsten wrote in her journal, God led her to Habakkuk, and um, she read this passage, and she wrote, wrote this in her journal, Monday, May 3rd, 2010. Now remember, my wife is, is struggling through anxiety at, at this point. In fact, it spirals when things hit the, hit the, um, when things go poorly. Um, so this is what she wrote, Monday, May 3rd, 2010, based on Habakkuk 3.17. Though our son is gravely ill, and we do not know if he will survive, Though his medication costs more than half our monthly salary, though Solomon could go blind on this medication, though our core group left and were completely alone with no friends or community, though the van won't sell, that's getting practical there, right? Though the van won't sell and though our savings are gone, though the dishwasher died and cannot be repaired, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. Listen, friends. Saying that and believing that takes faith. Saying it doesn't take faith. Believing that. that, that that's a whole string of faith. Now, was Kirsten killing it in the faith department? She would say no. And I would say no, which is exactly why she write, wrote that. Though nothing is going my way, I'll rejoice in you because you alone are salvation. Friends, what are you facing today? What is it that, that you're sitting in today? It may, be that, it may be that you're not facing anything of challenge. Sincerely, I say that. I'm not just setting you up for some, something later. I'm saying it may be that, that right now you're not facing anything of challenge. Your life has, has been great over the last weeks and months. If that's where you are, I, I say this with all sincerity, the application I think for you is rejoice. That God has, has given you blessing in that kind of way in this season. And then, and then I think based on, on some things we said last week, because God is a God of all comfort, your role then, if that's where you are, is to comfort others who are facing not similar situations. Where are you this morning? If you're not in a place of, of seeing those things as going well, you're in a season of challenge, maybe you're in a season of fear, you're in a season of doubt, you're in a season of anxiety, you're in a season of hardship in, in some kind of way, maybe we would never comprehend it. You're in a season maybe of loneliness, and I would imagine we're all facing different things like that. When that happens, where do we turn? How do we face the trials of this life, not knowing what God is doing, not completely understanding His ways, but trusting that God is faithful? Where do we turn? 
How do we apply this? I think uh, Paul is a, is a big help. The Apostle Paul is a, a big help and, and example in all of this. Listen, if you, you want to see a guy who faced some hardship, Paul, man, you read through Paul's life, and some of it was because he followed Jesus. We get that, right? Yep, we, we know that that's coming. Persecution is coming because of following Jesus. But some of it was simply life circumstances. You remember that story in Acts where Paul gets bitten by a snake? Or he's just picking up some firewood. That, like, that's, that's a bad deal, right? So, I mean, we just read through Paul's life. You get to 2 Corinthians 11, you see some of Paul's life's circumstances. Of course, he was persecuted for his faith, but he was also shipwrecked. Who in here has been shipwrecked, right? Not me. I've never, I don't even know what that, what that, that would look like. It terrifies me. He, he spent a night and a day floating around in the ocean, Maybe I've seen too many movies, but that is maybe one of my biggest nightmares. Floating at night in the day, I'm okay, right? You can see what's going to eat you. At night, you don't know what's going to eat you. It's terrifying. Right? Paul faced danger, he says, from rivers and robbers. Right? I don't know what that means, but he faced danger there. He had, he had sleep. Let's just get real here. He had sleepless nights. So Paul faced insomnia. Some of us have that, right? have a hard time sleeping. He faced insomnia. He was left without food and water at times. He went without. He was at times freezing because of exposure. He didn't have clothes enough to wear. He didn't have housing. He was freezing. We're told on top of all of that, this boggles my mind, on top of all of that, he says that there were the daily pressures he faced because of his anxiety for all of the churches he had planted. Paul wrestled with anxiety over things that God had called him to do, this, these daily pressures. And all of those things was, were, were way outside of his control. And right after that list of things that he walks through, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks about a thorn given to him. Right? Some kind of ailment or disease. We don't know what it is. Some sort of bodily hardship. Why? Why was that given to him? Paul tells us why it was given to him. To keep him from being conceited. Now listen, who has ever thought of Paul as conceited? Yeah, that guy, all he talks about is himself. No, he's pointing to Christ. But God gives them this so that, that he is not conceited. And, and, and through all of that, do you know what Paul does? We know what he doesn't do. He doesn't question, why God? He doesn't question God. How could you let these things happen? Where are you? He doesn't complain. God, really this? Oh, Why? Are you even there? No, here's what, here's what Paul does. 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 8. He says this. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. That it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Do you hear this? Paul pleaded with God, God, would you help? Would you remove this? And God didn't answer with healing or taking that, that thing away, whatever it was. Instead, God answered this way. What you're facing, Paul, you're not facing alone. 
because I'm with you and my grace is sufficient for you. You're not facing these things alone. Right now, my grace is sufficient for you. In your weaknesses, my power is beautifully seen. So Paul's only response is what? Well, I guess I'll boast in the weaknesses then. If if Christ's power is going to rest on me, then I'm going to boast all the more in that. I want the power of Christ to be made evident in, in my life. So, so hear this. I want to make a statement. I want us to want this to sink in. The power of Christ is made evident in the life of someone who reveals weakness. You may want to write that down. Let that sink into your brain. The, the, the power of Christ is made evident in the life of someone who reveals weakness. I said this last week, I want to say it again. This is why we cannot hide. Right? This is one of the reasons we cannot hide. In fact, we ought to be all the more open about our weaknesses so that the power of Christ would be beautifully displayed on us. It rests on us. It completely blows my mind. I'll add this to the things that I won't ever fully comprehend about God, that, that He, in our weaknesses, points it all to Christ. And that his power is made perfect in, in all of that. And so we, we plead with God that, that he would increase my faith in that. That's what, that's what I have to do. I don't know about this. And so I have to plead with God that he would increase my faith and turn me toward prayer and praise and reliance and adoration even when things are not going the way that I want them to be going. God, turn me to faithful prayer and praise. That ought to be our prayer. What if uh, God grew us all up in this area? Can you imagine the, the kind of place we would be if we were open about our weaknesses so that we could point to Jesus? This is what I'm struggling with. I want you to be with me in this. I want to confess this so that we can point to Christ. This is what I'm walking through. I don't want to be alone in this. Not so that you would care care only about me, but so that we can point all the more to Christ. This is what uh, I'm walking through right now. And I know you may not comprehend this at all, but I want to share this because in my weakness, uh, Christ's power is resting on me. What if that was the kind of place we were, the kind of church we were? I think we're making moves in that direction. I would love to see that more and more. I want to pray for us. I'm going to give you some space and time right where you are to consider some of the things we've walked through. Maybe the Spirit is, is um, poking you in some areas. Maybe the Spirit is nudging you. Maybe the Spirit is just pushing you in, in some directions. And, and I want to give you some time to consider that. And then we'll sing and, and celebrate together. Let me pray. God, we um, rest we, we rest in this truth. I'll speak it to you, God. We rest in the truth that you are over all things. And while I can speak that, I don't know that it, that it, um, that it penetrates my heart like it ought to all the time. And the things that I don't understand about the, the ways that you work and, and especially the ways that you're working in my own life, um, those are the, the, the ways that I then push against you and I begin to question and I begin to complain and I begin to doubt. And so, God, in that, I need your help. And I'm certainly uh, not alone here. God, I pray that for my friends as well. We need your help to have our eyes fixed on you. Even though we don't know what you're up to, our eyes are fixed on you. And even though 
things aren't working out exactly as we would want and exactly as we would plan, you are still God. Would you help us to believe that? It's not something easy to believe. The circumstances we all face right now are, are maybe not things that we would choose, but, but you're still God and you still love us and still desire to be in relationship with us. And, and God, this morning... I get the sense that there may be people in the room who are wrestling to believe that you are over all things and that's for their good. And so for those people who are here this morning who may be wrestling to believe that, I pray that you would be their comfort. I pray that you would be their peace. I pray that they would run to you. And I pray as a church family that we would be the kind of people who, wanna, who, who want to, to, to openly share where we are through the ups and the downs, the joys and the heartaches, the good times and, and the times of struggle so that in our weaknesses, the, the power of Christ would rest on us and be shown and be so evident. God, would you make us the kind of people who want nothing more than to turn to, to Christ and praise Him for all that He's done? And, and, and would that begin with expressing our own weaknesses? Would you help us to be that kind of people? And if there are people in this room this morning who are hurting deeply, God, I ask that you would help them. Give them the courage to grab a friend or two to talk through these things. Help us not to hide. God, we need your help. And then, God, would you help us to, to celebrate around the fact, the truth, that Jesus has conquered sin and death forever through his death and resurrection. And one day he's returning to restore all things. Give us hearts that long to rejoice in that, we pray. All these things. In the name of your Son. Amen. Take a couple moments right where you are to consider what God may be doing in you.